This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. In a path of continuing issues for the social media giant, Twitter announced a 9% cut in its workforce ends up being about 350 jobs that are going by the wayside. The areas where the jobs will be cut are in sales, marketing, and partnerships. But this news comes at a time when Twitter is in the limelight for being an acquisition target of a variety of different companies. And to this point, no one has been hooked onto the bait as making a formal offer. Taking a look at what's going on with Twitter right now, we're joined in studio by Kevin Warbach, uh, Wharton Associate Professor of Legal Studies and Business Ethics. And joining us on the phone, Jennifer Goldbeck of the University of Maryland, Director of the Social Intelligence Lab and Associate Professor of Information Studies there, and also author of the book, Introduction to Social Media Investigation, A Hands-On Approach. Kevin, great to see you again. Thanks. Thanks. You too, Dan. Jennifer, great to have you back. Glad to be here. Thank you. Uh, I want to I want to just look at Twitter for in just a second. But Facebook had their earnings call come out yesterday, and I just wanted to touch on that for a second because of what the CFO said about the drop in ad growth that they are going to have supposedly next year for Facebook, which is kind of the the be all end all in this in this area. Seeing significant ad dropping drop. Next year, what does that mean to you, Kevin? Yeah, I haven't looked through those uh, numbers in the announcement yet, but obviously online digital advertising has been growing very strongly, especially for Google and Facebook for a number of years. And that's really what's powered the incredible growth of those two companies. For one thing, it can't go up forever. For another thing, there's been increasing pushback from users who are overwhelmed by the ads and who are starting to deploy these ad blockers uh, to limit the amount of advertising. So it's a, I think it's a question long term. So much of this digital economy, especially social media, has been driven by these advertising models. Uh, and uh, I think there are still some open questions about just how much run room there is in that model. Jennifer? Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, I'm definitely one of those people who has recently deployed an ad blocker. Uh, like, I understand they have to be there. At the same time, I have really felt them becoming overwhelming. And, you know, I think at some point we have to accept that, like, Facebook is going to saturate everything it can saturate. And it just can't keep having these astounding rates of growth that they've been seeing, almost 50% a year. Like, that's going to have to slow down eventually. So I'm not super surprised. And I don't think it says anything bad about where they're going. I think it's just reality that that growth has to slow. Okay, so as for Twitter, 350 people losing their jobs, yet uh, they're still talking about investments that they want to make for the future. So where is Twitter in your mindset right now, Jennifer? Man, I am frustrated with Twitter. Uh, <laughs> you know, I as we've talked about a lot of times on the show, I'm a huge fan, a big user of the platform. And I think they really just are refusing to see the stuff they have to do. You look at all of the struggles that they had, you know, when they were recently trying to be acquired. And some of these companies straight out came and said, part of the reason that they don't want them is because they have this really serious trolling and harassment problem that they're not doing anything about. And they seem to be going like, gosh, I have no idea what we could do to make ourselves more attractive. They don't want to address that problem for some reason. And so we see these layoffs. We see them dropping Vine. Those could strategically all be good moves, but I think until they address this core problem that all their users know about, they're not going to make themselves an attractive 
uh, acquisition the way they want to be. Kevin? But here's the bind that Twitter's in, and I completely agree with what you're saying. The trolls are the most active users, and I don't think Twitter wants to say this. And, and certainly, I, I think that you know, all the way up to Jack Dorsey, the CEO, they do care about the harassment. I don't think they poo-poo it. But I think they, when they look at the numbers, they realize that if you really clamp down on these users, that's going to get in the way of what uh, the markets are pushing them for, which is growth, growth, growth. Um, and so they're in kind of a, a challenging situation. They also don't want to do what Facebook and some other sites have done, go to a requirement that you use your real name because they have such a commitment to the ability to have free and anonymous speech. So it's a frustrating position that they're in, but I, I think you're absolutely right. They're going to have to decide which side they want to be on. There has also been the question about Jack Dorsey and the fact that he's running Twitter, but he's also, well, running Twitter to a degree, but he's also running Square as well. And whether or not trying to run both companies is not the right approach, and they should look for a permanent CEO. Obviously, this has been going on now for, for several months, you know, uh, of whether it would be Jack Dorsey or whether it should be somebody else. Where do you stand on that? I don't think Jack's the problem. That's been an issue all along. It's yep. it's like, you know, take Yahoo, which is another company. Not exactly the same thing. They've gone through CEO after CEO. And, and Marissa Mayer, um, in many ways, was you know a very effective CEO and that she couldn't really turn it around. At this point, I don't know who there is who would do a better job than Dorsey. Right. Uh, who would want the job. Jen? Yeah, I completely agree with that. Uh, I think there's a handful of straightforward problems that they need to address. Uh, we've talked about some of them. There's others that really relate to the identity of Twitter. I think Dorsey has a vision for that, and the problem is really that they need to find a path forward to deal with it. But it doesn't seem like the reason they haven't gotten there is because he's not giving it the attention it needs. I think it's just some hard decisions that have to be made that there's some resistance to. Well, and let's go back for a second. What are those things that you think they, they really need to consider at this point? Uh, so I think... One of the things is, what kind of platform do they want to be? So Wall Street obviously is pushing them for growth, and they have not been able to really achieve that kind of growth. Their user numbers have been pretty stagnant. And so I think there's a real question in there of, are they going to be a social media company that sees these big growth numbers year out of year, year over year, like Facebook is and like Wall Street wants them to be? Or do they kind of accept that they're about the size that they're going to be? They can offer a really valuable service to the users who are there. And that's the strategy that they're going to focus on. I think they're a viable company at their current size with their current user base and just maintaining those levels. But they haven't really accepted that yet. They're, they're more appealing to the Wall Street side. And right. I think they need to make that decision. Kevin? Well, that's the challenge. They're a growth company, and that's the story they went public on. And, and probably in hindsight, one might think that Twitter should have looked harder at uh, whether to go public. But the challenge is when you're a company like that, so many of the employees and the investors are tied up in monetizing with that yeah. exit. Then when you do the IPO, you've got to keep growing. And that's the model. And we've seen a few companies like Google and Facebook do that successfully. Uh, but not every company is destined to be on that path. And and what's strange about Twitter is they've never been more influential. I mean, you look at this presidential yeah. campaign. Uh, I mean, I, I shudder to say it, but there would be no Donald Trump if it were not for Twitter. And it's not just Trump, but he's exploited it incredibly well. Every political campaign now, this is so central to what they're doing. And, and there's no platform really that has that level of influence. 
And yet here they are, you know, where their survival is called into question because of the finances. Well, I'll throw one bit of uh, of my experience in on that is the fact that if you look at Twitter, what Twitter is and are surrounding this presidential campaign and what we see on Facebook on this presidential campaign, it truly is. There's some similarities, but there there is kind of a wide divide in the two when you think about it, because Twitter, as we've talked about, I mean, it's a PR tool. In, in in many cases, I, because I use it to promote the show. A lot of people, it's not as much the conversation about about uh, about issues as Facebook is. Whereas on Facebook during this, I, I mean, I could go through my, my Facebook and it, it's all people expressing their opinions. Although last night it was about the Cubs. But, you know, for the last several months, it's all been about people expressing their opinions about who's worse for presidency in, in the United States. And it's the conversation instead of it just being kind of a one way one way kind of path on that on that uh, on that speech. Well, Twitter has always been about two things distinctively. One is that kind of targeted broadcast communication, which yeah. is useful for people who would never really think of themselves as, as a celebrity or having right. an audience, but might have 100, 200, 1,000, 5,000, 10,000 people following them on Twitter, which is amazing, yeah. as well as the celebrities, the politicians, and so forth. And, and it's more than just PR. Right. They have a direct channel to their supporters, which they never had before. That's always been one piece of Twitter. The other piece has been live in real time. So yep. when an event happens, when there's an earthquake or when the Cubs win the World Series, you can have people come together and all commenting on Twitter in a way that you really can't get with any other of the platforms. Now, I think part of their challenge is what Facebook and others are doing with video, uh, with live yeah. video, um, is something that in some ways is, is cutting into that unique aspect of Twitter. It's not the same, but it's giving them a real play for live that, that Twitter you know, has tried to do. They've got this moments thing and they have Periscope and so forth, yeah. um, but they're no longer as unique. Jen? Yeah, Twitter fills this interesting space where Facebook is exactly like you described, a place where we can talk to our friends, we have that conversation, it's working with people that we know. And Twitter has much more of a broadcast feel. Obviously, they don't have the privacy kinds of settings that Facebook does. But it gives you this intermediate space between like a blog or an email, like a straight up broadcast medium, and one like Facebook where you have interaction, where you can have someone like a Donald Trump or any kind of TV movie celebrity tweeting and reaching a large audience, but the audience feels like they can interact too. And I think that's an interesting and important space. But the space that Twitter has been targeting trying to get new members has been kind of the Facebook audience who just wants to talk to their friends. And that's not what that platform is great for. So I think they need to kind of embrace that really powerful niche that they have and focus on who can they attract and kind of create as an influencer in those spaces. But to the video point, this is interesting. I grew up as a Cubs fan, so it's a very exciting day for me. <laughs> and uh, you haven't uh, you haven't had an exciting day like this in your life. I, I will never have a sports moment this good in the rest of my life. Okay. <laughs> okay. So last night I'm watching the game. I'm texting with people. I'm on Twitter to watch that conversation. But for video. I turned to Facebook. Uh, Facebook Live had great video feeds outside Wrigley Field that I was able to have up. And uh, I've never found myself really going to Facebook Live for that. But they did it much better than Twitter. And uh, I think that's a little too bad for Twitter. But this moment where I really wanted it, Facebook was the one serving up 
the way that I needed it. So then, Kevin, does that then that aspect of what Jennifer just laid out, does that make what Twitter is trying to do with the National Football League in terms of the broadcasting of their games become maybe that that next step for Twitter to say, hey, listen, we can do live video. We're obviously doing it through a, a third party providing us with the content, but at least they're trying to do it. And it also comes at a time where they just they gutted Vine as well. So is that potentially a way for Twitter to to kind of take back a little bit of that market share? I don't get the NFL deal at all. Apparently, yeah. they got the rights for real cheap, so maybe it was worth it. Yeah. Sure, they can do live. Sure, they can do video. It's it's not clear why they can do it differently or better than anyone else, right. or that the audience would say, oh, instead of watching these live on Yahoo, which had the rights last year, I'm going to watch them on Twitter, and that's going to make me a committed Twitter user. So right, right. I, I think that's just um, a, a fringe kind of thing. Um, the, the Vine piece is, um, is interesting, because they did create this thing, which had had a following, in some ways was distinct from Twitter, yeah. had uh, had an audience, had a group of creators and so forth, but it, it never quite was synergistic with Twitter. I, I was talking with um, my kids, I uh, tween kids, and so they, they follow Vine and stuff, and these memes blow up on Vine and so forth. And uh, one of them said, oh, yeah, wasn't wasn't Vine acquired by some big company? I was like, no, 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 it was always Twitter. They're like, oh, yeah, Twitter. Twitter is the one that acquired Vine. I'm like, no, Vine is <laughs> right. a service of Twitter. They're shutting down. They had no idea there was any connection. Which is amazing because – and I guess for Vine – and when it started, I think a lot of people saw it as this great opportunity for Twitter to get unbelievable growth. But if you don't have that connection and maybe you didn't incorporate the services well enough between the two, you've just kind of shot yourself in the foot, correct? Well, it, it helps. I don't think the core Twitter audience – so I, I've been a big Twitter user since a month or two after they launched. I, yeah. mean, I knew some of the founders and so forth. And Vine was never of interest to me. Um, I, mean, I could see why it was. And then there's some people who love the Vine stuff um, who are more of the kind of YouTube crowd. They're more about video creators and so forth. I, I really think it was a different audience. Yeah. Um, and so it's not. there's nothing wrong with it. It's just Twitter's at a point right now where they're not in need of finding another product. They're in need of finding what their core product is and how to really grow that. So then, Jen, with all of these companies that have have been associated with potentially buying Twitter in the last uh, couple of months, we, we still you know don't have anybody that has made a play to actually put a deal together at this point. The question I becomes, uh, becomes is, will we see that in, in sooner rather than later? Uh, unless there's some big change in Twitter, I'd be surprised if we see it sooner. Uh, there's a, just a lot of concerns that I've really been surprised seeing come out. You know, I've had these private thoughts, like we said, about the harassment and other issues. Um, to see those actually confirmed in media reports was surprising to me because I suspected it was in the background, but I didn't think it would be, you know, a main public issue that people discussed. You know, that's obviously not the only issue for Twitter, but I think you know, them putting themselves out there being considered and then rejected by these big companies, that's the play that they had to make. So it's certainly possible that something could happen, but I think we're going to have to see some real movement from Twitter that goes way beyond the Vine and the layoff issues uh, before they suddenly transform themselves into something more appealing for a big company to acquire them. Yeah, the other interesting possibility is that we're thinking about this all wrong, about what kind of acquisition target Twitter is. Maybe Twitter is actually more like the Washington Post, that it needs someone to buy them not 
as something they can monetize as a huge growth opportunity, mm -hmm. but something that's a, a truly valuable and important piece of the information landscape, which, which is a for-profit company which can grow and generate revenue, but is, is not going to be a, a Snapchat or a Airbnb level of growth. Right. Um, and that acquirer, um, who would potentially have to be someone strategic, um, would then be in a good position to address what Jen says about the harassment, which is really a huge drag on them. Yeah. But I don't. Again, I don't think they can do it until they clear up what their business model really is. So does that become a potentially a, a, some sort of media company like a CNN or 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 a USA Today or you know? No, 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 no. I'm talking Jeff Bezos or oh, someone okay. like that. Okay. No, because uh, these media companies they're following the same Wall Street dictates and so forth. And that would actually be much worse because th those media companies have never gotten what Twitter does so well, which is to be this amazing open platform that anyone right. can use um, and, and not having uh, editors and, and gatekeepers and so forth the way the media does. That's right. what's great about Twitter, but it's also potentially what's challenging and bad about Twitter. So, uh, and we're talking with Kevin Werbach of the Wharton School and Jennifer Goldbeck of the University of Maryland about Twitter. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. What is it that uh, maybe Twitter is missing in your world? Give us a call right now at 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. Uh, you touched on it a little bit earlier, Jen, and I want to go back and, and bring it up at this point, is the fact of, you know, Twitter's a public company. Uh, should Twitter have stayed private? Um, I, I mean, my personal opinion as a non-business person is, yeah, they should have stayed private. Uh, you know, there's a lot of these different services out there, obviously, and they all have to fill their own niche. And when you see competitors come in that try to just do exactly the same thing, it's really hard for them, even if they have a lot of resources, right? So you look at Google Plus, for example, basically intended as a competitor to Facebook and didn't take off because there was already Facebook. So Twitter has that, right? It has this really interesting place where there's no real competition for the exact thing that they're good at. And they can focus on that and offer it as a great service. And by going public, they were really pushed to behave in the way that a lot of other social media companies were to have this tremendous amount of growth. And that has pushed them to make a lot of decisions that I think have taken away from improving the experience for the people who want the thing that they really offer. Uh, so I actually love Kevin's idea. I think if you can get someone to step in and take this over and embrace Twitter for what it is and let it exist that way without this push for 30% growth every year. Yeah. Uh, that's a way that's going to preserve a lot of value in that platform for people like all of us who use it quite passionately and not try to form it into something that will be attractive to people who really want some other service. The, the trick, I guess, probably is, Kevin, is that uh, so many of the social media outlets uh, right now are looking to monetize as much as they possibly can with their, with their, uh, w with their operations. And to, to have an entity like Twitter, which, as you said, has an unbelievable information resource to it and not monetize it, that that's where the questions become of, of, you know, is it an effective purchase if you can't monetize it for some companies? Well, sure. There's monetizing and there's monetizing. And yeah. I, I think we're all agreeing that uh, a normal kind of acquirer, and that's why all of the logical suspects, all of the media companies, all the online companies, even companies like Salesforce, which are kind of in an adjacent space, as well as all the private equity firms, they've all sniffed around and taken a look at it. Yeah. And if you apply normal kinds of financial metrics, you walk away from the deal um, for the reasons that they all did. 
the issue that I'm raising is if you think of Twitter not as a social media company, but you think of Twitter as kind of a modern-day newspaper, again, why did those companies get acquired? It was not because they had unbelievable growth rates and unbelievable profit potential. Yeah. It was because they were valuable in other ways. But look, it's it's kind of easy for me to sit around and say, you know, hey, anyone out there that's got 5 or $10 billion burning a hole in your pocket, <laughs> go buy Twitter because we all want it to be something that's good for the world. That, that's the conundrum of, of the place that they're in. Um, and, and the worry is when things start going south, they can unravel really fast because there's a lot of people who are there who are there still hoping to get the payoff. Uh, which, and that's a danger. Which makes you wonder if, if in fact, there is kind of a timeline uh, for Twitter as an entity right now, as a company where, you know, if you get a year down the road or two years down the road, does Twitter's existence become a little bit of a question mark? They've got enough reach and enough users that I don't think they're going away anytime soon. And, and okay. it's not it's not quite like Yahoo in that it's not that the core audience is off doing something else and they have this kind of zombie audience. Right. Um, so I, I think they're going to be around for a very long time. And, and again, it's not that they aren't generating any revenue at all. They are right. generating yeah. revenue in lots of ways. Yep. So I think they'll be around for a long time, but, but whether they will still be as influential a force and whether they really will have any opportunity to attract great people in management is going to be a question. Jen? Yeah, that's a really interesting perspective because I look at it really not from the business side in my profession, but from the user side. I completely agree. They're going to be around. They have a lot of influence. Uh, and I think an important thing for them to stick with and focus on is that they have influence well beyond their user base. Right. And so we were talking about the election before most of the people who are seeing Donald tweets, Donald Trump's tweets, <laughs> Freudian uh, slip there. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty accurate, actually. Um, you know, most of the people who are seeing that aren't Twitter users who are seeing it. They're people who are consuming traditional media yeah. who is reporting what's coming from there. I think that kind of influence is really impressive and super important to the future of Twitter. Now, it's hard to monetize that, and that's a separate challenge. But I think because they have, again, that platform that allows for broadcast but also interaction where people really engage, they're going to be successful for a while, and it's just a matter of figuring out the right model to keep themselves afloat. Well, that's that that's a big shift in media in general right now in the fact that, you know, the the media industry has gone from, hey, reporters got to go out and cover a story to, hey, let's sit back and get the information from either the Associated Press or as you mentioned, Jen, off of Twitter. You know, that information comes in off of Twitter. Well, there's a story. You you put five tweets together, you write a little wrap around it and you have your story. That's that's the big shift in in the media industry which kind of goes back to what you say, Kevin, is that, you know, some entity like that, you know, a person that that has that wealth behind them could find this a very attractive, uh, attractive piece at some point. Oh, no question. It's it's part of a new media landscape where there is this pastiche. There is still, by the way, a role for classic, hardcore investigative journalism, which right. is really hard to fund. But there are things like ProPublica that are doing amazing work filling that role. Yeah. Uh, but but sure, I mean, it, it, Twitter does that. It is, though, I think, important to realize that it's not just a media company. I, I think if we just look at uh, Twitter as a source for news, we, we miss so much of what's going on, that there is a tremendous amount of both celebrities and lots of individuals yeah. finding audiences in ways that really media and even social media doesn't do justice to. I mean, there's no question there's a lot of value and a lot of use there 
in marketing and so forth. But th- there's something deeper than that. Um, and, and that's partly why the harassment is such a challenge. Yeah. That Twitter is in many ways this amazing platform for people who never had a voice to get that voice. But those are also the kinds of people who are most in danger of being attacked and trolled and threatened via Twitter. Um, so I, you know, I, I think that's also an important piece. And, yeah. and certainly if what comes out of this is Twitter does make the decision, as, as Jennifer was suggesting, to really confront the cancer that's there of the harassment, that will be a, a really significant step for society. I mean, just the fact that we're talking about this yeah. as being important in a business context, which for so long was ignored. I mean, you know, women and minorities and, and people have been harassed for a very long time. Sure, yeah. Um, the fact that it's coming to the light through this and we're talking about it, that that's a positive development, but it depends which way it goes. Great to have you both back on the show. Thank you, Kevin. Great to see you. Absolutely. Thank, Thank you. you, Dan. Jennifer, great to have you on the show. Thank you again. Thank you. You got it. Kevin Werbach of the Wharton School. Jennifer Goldbeck from the University of Maryland. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.